Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. This episode is all about California's stars, Michelin stars to be exact. We'll visit three of the state's most acclaimed restaurants, starting with the North Coast's Harbor House Inn. There, Chef Matthew Kammerer just earned both a second Michelin star and a Michelin green star for sustainability. I really wanted to be one of the only restaurants cooking vegetables and, and local rockfish, and I wanted to kind of show that you could have that, that experience of a two-star using humble ingredients. After that, we'll meet chefs Greg and Daisy Ryan, who run Bells in Los Alamos. The restaurant recently received its first Michelin star, but they say they were never setting out to win awards. This idea of this raw fish goes so beautifully with all the winter citruses that we have available to us right now. So currently, it is a halibut dressed in this buttermilk vinaigrette with a toasted coriander, um, and it's just so fragrant Beautiful. And after that, Chef William Bradley, whose restaurant Addison in San Diego just added a second Michelin star, tells us about his unique take on California gastronomy. That's all coming up on California Now. You'd be hard-pressed to find a chef who takes the intersection of gastronomy and sustainability more seriously than my next guest, and he has the credentials to back it up. Matthew Kammerer is executive chef at the Harbor House Inn, located in the cliffside town of Elk, California, about three hours up the coast from San Francisco. The restaurant was recently awarded a second Michelin star and a Michelin green star celebrating sustainability. Welcome to California Now, Matthew. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So to start out, could you tell us a bit about your origin story and, and how you came to be chef at Harbor House? It probably even started all the way back in um, you know, 2014. I was a young cook and doing a, quite a bit of traveling. I left New England after a couple of years up there and decided I wanted to travel, but also had quite a bit of focus on certain styles of restaurants I wanted to work at. So uh, first one was I wanted to get more in touch with vegetable side of fine dining. I had worked in a couple of restaurants in Australia, all the way in Belgium, uh, inspired in Japan as well. So I left for two years, traveled, cooked at all different restaurants. But what drew me in was the remote restaurants with uh, hotels. So I knew down the line, whenever it was time for me to do this on my own, I was going to have a small hotel, somewhere remote, beautiful near the ocean where I can grow food, Elk was actually my my number one choice the whole time. So it sounds like you almost you traveled the world and then you decided Elk was the place you wanted to be. What what is so great about the community there? Yeah, I mean we we don't have phone service. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Wi-Fi is spotty if it's foggy, and I think there's a huge attractiveness to that in the world we live in today. Where if I go to the city, my phone is constantly vibrating. I'm not able to immerse myself where. Here, we, we probably have the most beautiful coastline in on the West Coast, and you get to enjoy it because guess what? No one's calling you. Yeah, it sounds it sounds gorgeous. So so let's talk about Michelin stars. You got your first in 2019, uh, just a year after Harbor House Inn's reopening. Uh, were you surprised Michelin made it up to Elk so quickly? Yeah, because when I left San Francisco, I was, you know, that was one part of my cooking career that was always around, you know, it's... Michelin, it's it's these inspectors, and it's kind of daunting in a way. Um, and then a year, not even a year later, they announced that they are going the full scope of California. So it was kind of um, exciting. And uh, once once that happened, you realize the 
the value and the the influence that this little small red book has on on your business as far as visibility. Yeah, and now you've added a second star. Um, what do you think that success owes to? You know, I, I really stick into our roots. You know, where I want it to continue to cook our style of food. I really want it to be one of the only restaurants, if not the only restaurant with two stars cooking vegetables and, and local rockfish and, you know, species that are not imported. I wanted to kind of show that you could have that, that experience of a two star using humble ingredients. So, and you've also added a, a Michelin green star uh, celebrating sustainable gastronomy. What does that particular honor mean to you? You know, vegetables, that, part of a menu have have always been super important to me. So the fact that we, again, we continued to stick to our guns and we want to have a lot of vegetables in our, our tasting menu. We want to put a huge focus on them. We want to serve you things that you haven't had before, like uh, lace lichen, treat it like noodles. Hmm. Um, you know, sticking to what's important to us and only sourcing what's around here kind of forces you into being sustainable, you know? It's an honor to carry that green star as well as two stars. So exactly how sustainable is your operation? I think a major factor that we have to our benefits, we start completely from scratch every day. So you're not wrapping things and holding it for the next day. If you really start to ask, it goes back to those questions of why and how. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use something in 15 minutes... You don't need to wrap it 10 times in plastic wrap. You <laughs> right. Put a little damp paper towel on there. It goes in the compost after. And, you know, you, you kind of just have to say, all right, I understand this is how you're taught to operate, but you have to rethink. You have to think again. And uh, it actually does a lot of the work for you when you start answering those questions. So, you know, we don't use the deli containers that most restaurants use. They don't last long. We do use plastic containers, but they are thicker plastic, airtight containers. We don't stick them through the dishwasher. We hand wash them all. I've had the same ones for four years now when the deli containers you go through in what, a month or something like that. So there's all these different little tricks and tools you can use to, okay, you can't get rid of plastic completely, but you can change the way you operate with it and your systems that go into not just utilizing it for food, but also cleaning it. And you're going to get something that lasts a lot longer. Right. And that's something that a lot of people don't think about when they think about sustainability. They're thinking maybe more about, you know, the production and the harvesting of the ingredients and things like that. But you're actually you're actually rethinking core practices that are that that are going on in your kitchen. Exactly. I think that the food is the easy part, to be honest, because there's a, there's an abundance around here. Uh, but so much that goes into a restaurant that it doesn't end up on a plate is the, the really unsustainable part. Luckily, the we're a, a tasting menu focused restaurant, but we have a breakfast and we have a lunch and we have in-room dining. So, you know, if we get a product in, the entire thing is going to go somewhere. And we, we really do our best to find a home for everything. So that's also minimizing waste. Right, right. Now, switching gears to the food, um, I know there's a, a cove right below your restaurant. Do you forage there? We do, yeah. So um, the hotel itself does has, has steps down to a beach. There's plenty of seaweeds down there. But that cove is just a small part of the entirety of Greenwood Cove. And Greenwood Cove... Um, it's quite big, and we will use the entire cove for different uh, sources of seaweeds because we've learned over the last couple of years that all seaweeds are just like other plants. They want to grow in certain environments. So within 
Greenwood Cove as a whole, we have access to probably uh, probably can pull like 10, 12 types of seaweeds as wow. well as sea urchin and things like that. Amazing. And what about mushrooms? Do, do those factor in? Yeah. So the seaweed season is, you know, spring to, you know, late July. And then we have a little bit of gap here. Then once the rains come, we leave the tide pools and move into the forest. So uh, we had an incredible year this year, actually, with uh, mushrooms because we got so much early rain that really saturated the forest. And uh, we're, I mean, we're still pulling mushrooms now, but the, the, the season in October, November, uh, December is pretty amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I can imagine. Um, and, and you've also recently added a farm where a lot of your ingredients come from, right? So what can you tell us about the farm? Like how close is it? Uh, how big? What do you grow? Things like that. Yeah, of course. Um, so the farm is uh, about 25 minutes south. It's 320 acres, so more of a ranch. Mm-hmm. On the south parcel, uh, we have uh, 18, 20 head of cattle. Huh. Uh, they went in about a year ago. They're belted uh, Galloway, so your your uh, Oreo-looking cows that do really well here on the coast. Um, and they're raised in a way of every three days they move an acre. And then they don't see that acre again for four months. Hmm. So the reality of this is where this is land that hadn't really been grazed or taken care of for a long time. So we're putting a huge effort into the soil and if you want to say the, the biochemistry of the land itself, getting it ready to do things in the future. Like we spent the first year taking the cattle, running it through the grasslands. There's this kind of like coastal pine and the cattle has run through what would be kind of like different blackberry and a whole bunch of shrubs and made their paths. This year we'll introduce goats. They'll continue to eat through it. Uh, This will kind of break down some of the fire hazards and the danger. So out of all of this kind of investment into the land, we have a byproduct that is 100% 100% grass-fed beef that is only drinking water from the spring on the site. So we get a completely unique taste. Uh, we get goat. I'm sure next year there'll be chickens and ducks <laughs> and things like that. So I think that what's meaningful to me is, you know, there's so much work going on behind the seats and it's almost like the dinner experience is a byproduct of building a community uh, as well as kind of um, investing in the land around us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the dining experience. Um, it's a tasting menu, right? Yes. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what it's like for somebody who's coming to be, you know, coming for a meal at, uh, at your place? What are they, what's the experience like? Yeah, so our, our menu will change um, every day. The major two factors there are uh, product availability which from that is really going to be based on the the weather outside. Um, from our kitchen, we're quite lucky to be able to see the ocean. And we know that if, it, if it's super windy and it's blowing hard, we're probably going to have a gap in the fish for the next couple of days. Uh, so we'll understand we'll have to pivot and uh, change the menu depending on what seafood we're able to get. Vice versa, we understand that if it's supposed to rain, you know, early in October, I think we got like six inches of rain in one day. Uh, you're not going to have a bunch of vegetables to use. Um, So we'll have to change the menu depending on what's happening outside because that's a direct result into the quality of the vegetable. You can't serve a vegetable that is overwatered. It's going to be diluted. Texture is going to be off. The intensity is going to be gone. So we don't want to have to serve a bunch of, you know, we do serve a lot of vegetables in our menu. So 
Uh, if it is a strict vegetable course, we're going to have to change either the way we cook it or the, the course completely. So I think sometimes people will say, what's the menu going to be uh, in two weeks or a month? I have no idea. Right. <laughs> so when people talk about like local, fresh and sustainable, it doesn't get any any fresher than than what you're doing. I mean, you're literally looking out the window. You're saying, OK, you know, I can't just like stick my hand into the freezer and pull out some fish because you're actually getting the fish day of, right? Yeah, the the, the cooks live all up and down the coast. So they're up in uh, all the way up to Fort Bragg, down to Point Arena. So that Fort Bragg's about 30 minutes north. Uh, Point Arena is about 30 minutes south. Uh, some cooks live in uh, Philo, which is about 25 minutes east. So they're able to stop at um, farms or uh, pick up eggs or at the harbor. So we don't have necessarily like a fish purveyor, we will usually go to the harbor to, to pick up the fish at the site. So it, you know, it's pretty common. I mean, there is one gentleman that we just started working with. Well, he, he will drop it off directly from the harbor, which is nice, but it's common that our fish is too fresh to cut. So we need to usually wait like a day or two to cut it. Uh, That's pretty incredible. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, so I know, so your menu varies heavily based on what's available because you're going super fresh. But are there any kind of signature items or, or flavors that you always include? Yeah, I think the only thing that's been on the menu since day one is uh, the sourdough bread that's infused with sea lettuce, which is a type of seaweed from the cove, and the ember roasted sea lettuce butter. Um, so it's cultured butter infused with grilled sea lettuce as well. So that's been on since day one. I think the other kind of signature, one of my favorites, is the, the way that we prepare our abalone. Uh, abalone is such an important part of this area, uh, not just mm-hmm. um, in the last, uh, you know, if you want to call it the last 50, 60 years for people that lived here diving for abalone, but even, you know, the, the Native Americans prior um, that lived in this area for, you know, thousands of years would collect abalone for, you know, to, to survive on and, and to have. Uh, so abalone has been a staple of, of this area for a long time. And uh, so then when we serve it, we wrap it in kombu, roast it in the oven, and it's really, really soft. Um, the texture is a lot softer than other abalone that you're going to get. And I think that's one of the other things that's been on the menu. The set will change, but that style of cooking the abalone has been on for, for a couple of years now, and I don't, I don't think I'll change that. So those are, if I had to have two signatures, uh, probably those two. Uh, seaweed ice cream has been around for a while, while but I, I've taken it off the um, tasting menu as of recently. Yeah, well, they both they both sound incredible. Um, now, before I let you go, can we also talk a little bit about stays at the Harbor House Inn? I mean, what's it like, you know, to spend a night or two there? So we're fortunate to have probably one of, if not the most beautiful backyard of any hotel in California or the West Coast. Uh, we have private beach access. There's only 11 rooms, so it's super small, secluded. You know, we want it to feel like it's your house while you're there. Uh, the, the, the idea of our style of service is you don't want to know anyone is there until you need something. You know, there's a library right. where you can sit and read. There's a fireplace. There's Adirondack chairs all over the property. You can go on the beach. Uh, there's a couple little hidden hideouts. Um, you know, you're there to escape. And it's not 
there's no TVs in the room. That was my first thing is like, no, people are here to experience this place, disconnect. Uh, you can watch TV anywhere else. Um, so it is kind of all tied in with the same ethos. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like almost, the, I mean, it sounds like the perfect place if you want to kind of disconnect from the world for a few days just to get away from it all. Yeah, exactly. Just disconnect it. You know, every day is different um, with the, the sights that you see, the ocean's doing different things, the fog rolls in or you get an amazing sunset, the wind will kind of play with the colors of the water. So it's like, it's a super rare place. You need to be present while you're here. You don't need to, but I hope that you would want to be. So that is the goal is to just kind of show off what elk is at the same time of being able to have a super unique and, and thought about culinary ex- and, and wine experience. We put a ton of effort into our wine program as well. There's no reason to eat anywhere else. Uh, we're going to take care of you while you're there. Absolutely. Well, Matthew, you know, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you so much. Matthew Kammerer is executive chef at the Harbor House Inn in Elk, California. They're online at theharborhouseinn.com. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and a lot more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. My next guests are no strangers to Michelin stars. Years before their Bistro Bells was awarded one last fall, Greg and Daisy Ryan honed their craft in a long list of acclaimed restaurants all across the country. In 2018, they opened the French-inspired Bells in Los Alamos, near where Daisy grew up, in the wine country an hour north of Santa Barbara. They say the plan wasn't to win awards, but to create something genuine. Daisy, Greg, welcome to California Now. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. So let's start with some background on the two of you. You're sometimes referred to as a culinary power couple. Uh, How did you meet? (laughs) Uh, We met while we were working at uh, Thomas Kelly's Restaurant Per Se in New York. Uh, Yeah, it was in 2008. I I imagine you learned a lot um, from those experiences about what's important to you in the culinary world. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the philosophy that guides Bell's? I, I would say while while there are you know highlights and murmurs of fine dining coming from you know working at Per Se and and Gramercy Tavern and and Greg uh, worked for a time at Tribeca Grill and the Beverly Hills Hotel so some establishments that have elements of luxury and um, again fine dining there are traces of that throughout Bell's but overall I think it is a comfortable more casual environment due to where we're located. Um, But also, you know, in the years before opening Bells, Greg and I would talk about what kind of restaurant we wanted to have. And something that we would always go back to was that we wanted it to be the type of place that you could, you know, walk into after work, maybe, you know, your jeans are a little bit dirty, um, sit down at the bar and have a great glass of wine and, um, some very enjoyable food, but that you also might look at the restaurant and think, hey, you know, we're going to celebrate our uh, 25th wedding anniversary there and put on, you know, our our nicest dress and, and maybe a coat and tie and also feel comfortable in that same environment. I feel really proud that we've, we have achieved that. Right, right. So, so how did Bell's come to be in Los Alamos? I mean, Daisy, you grew up nearby, right? Yeah. So, um, my, my parents and I moved up to the San Inez Valley when I was five years old. Uh, Los Alamos is the northernmost point of the San Inez Valley. 
but we we ended up there um for for a couple of reasons we had we had previously been in conversation and been looking at a um building and restaurant in Los Olivos which is actually now our second restaurant Bar La Cote um and my uh, family was fortunate enough to be able to purchase that property. However, the tenants at the time or the restaurant that was operating there just weren't ready to um, break their lease and move out yet. So we thought, okay, well, we'll just figure something out for the next, you know, I think it was two years until we're ready to open something there. You know, within an, the next couple of weeks, uh, Greg, uh, my actually my mother had seen that that uh, existing restaurant called Bell Street Farm. Uh, was for sale. We happened to be going up there for lunch, met the owners at the time, John and Jamie, and all just really hit it off right away. We started speaking with them and they had been operating Bell Street Farm for about seven years and, you know, wanted to, were ready to to get out of the business, but um, wanted it to go to people that they they liked and felt comfortable selling to. And so luckily they, they liked us. Was there something about the area that just said to you, like, this is the place to put a French inspired bistro? Was it the fact that you're in wine country or, or was there something else? We are, we are in wine country. This, while this area reminds us of like the West and almost like kind of like some, there's some Texas vibes to it. There's some California vibes. It also reminds us and reminds me of like smaller towns and villages in France where it is these agrarian kind of like it's it's Beaujolais. It's not Paris. It's not Bordeaux. It's it's Beaujolais. It's Lyon. And why in this town, in this area where every winemaker, not every winemaker, but a lot of winemakers wish they were living in France, why are there no French restaurants? We were opening a restaurant for the people living and working here. And mainly that being the winemakers and eventually the people that uh, work with us. I hadn't cooked in a long time. And my dear friend said to me, you know, don't do anything that you're uncomfortable with. Just do what, what you know. And having gone to culinary school, you know, so much of the basis of that is French technique. And so I was like, you know, this, all of these things make sense. And, and the stars kind of, I think, aligned on that. Right. Well, okay. So, so speaking of food, so what are some of your personal favorite dishes right now? For our first course fish, we've really dialed in these um, crudo uh, sets. We right like right now we're using local halibut that Stephanie catches for us or, or brings to us, and um, we kind of have this this. I don't I don't want to say formula because formula formula sounds so like staunch, but um, just this idea of you know this raw fish goes so beautifully with all the winter citruses that we have available to us right now. Um, and so, so currently it is a halibut dressed in this buttermilk vinaigrette with a toasted coriander, not to be too precious about it, but the coriander comes from a, uh, a farm just North of us and Los Osos from Candarian farms. So, um, and it's just so fragrant and beautiful. And then, um, we're using these, uh, satsumas that come from this gentleman in Santa Barbara, um, John LaPuma. He grows all these weird different varieties of citrus, but it's a real, such a nice light part of the meal. Um, and then uh, we're actually doing a um, kind of in contrast to that, also a, a beef heart tartare um, that uh, Steve, who is um, my executive sous chef, uh, it was his idea. He's like, hey, I really want to do a beef heart tartare. And at first I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Are people going to want to eat that? 
And um, it's amazing how well it sells. And we do it with this little quail egg and uh, these beautiful chicory, like rose chicory. They're these baby pink, um, bitter green lettuces. And it's just, it's just, it's really cool. And I can't believe how many people order it. Right, right. So, so for somebody who's maybe considering that beef heart tartar and they're just not sure they're on the fence, I mean, how would you describe it to them to help them make a decision? Uh, it tastes like beef. It doesn't really taste any different. So you get a little bit of like that irony flavor. It's more a texture. So it has like a, like a nice chew to it. And it's dressed with this violet mustard, which is a, a French product that we get. Well, it's interesting that a lot of people order it. I mean, that's really cool. Greg, what are some of your favorite dishes? Yeah, I would say kind of to speak about the the, the hot topic right now, beef heart, uh, is that <laughs> it, almost in the same way as the sea urchin, I want to believe that guests have a certain amount of confidence and faith in what we're putting on the plate. And the same way that it seems so, that we've normalized it for ourselves in such a way, but that. of every guest who sits down will have a tongue of uni and that maybe only half of them have ever had uni before. And maybe that's a bit hyperbolic, but this idea that we are hopefully uh, showcasing an item that someone maybe has never had before. And that by the time maybe they've come in the past, they they know that we aren't going to put something on the plate that we aren't proud of. And so- Yeah, I don't think we would have served beef heart even a year ago, I don't think we, in a way, certain way, you have to have like the confidence to do it. <laughs> yeah. And, right. and the, and the consumer and the guest needs to have it as well. It's like, if, I, if I'm going to have beef heart, I'm going to have it here. And, right, right. and that is something that is, you know, a testament uh, to, to the kitchen and the same idea as we get literally, or in our opinion, the best uni that you can get. And we always joke that it ruined, if someone's like, I've never had uni before, it's like, well, you're going to have it here. And it's going to ruin you really for anywhere else because you just are not going to get it where it is brought in the shell the night before and we fabricate it right before service. And it is, it just is the best, you know, it's just such a, uh, an amazing spotlight of that product. What I'm enjoying right now is uh, really everything on the, the pastry side. Uh, we were very fortunate in kind of during this last year and a half to grow quite a bit in just in our staffing. It allowed us to bring on our pastry chef and our baker, uh, Rusty. And she has what once was a kind of a hodgepodge bad news bears version at times of our pastry department, which was Daisy did a Daisy did one. Steve did one. Rochelle did like, we all just, everyone just kind of tried to like, trade and figure out we, we tried to keep desserts simple not to say they aren't they aren't still it just has allowed everyone to be able to show their strengths a little bit and everything from our ice cream right now is a, a fennel ice cream with blood orange and olive oil we usually try and offer uh, a cheese so right now we are using a uh, stepladder creamery with some kind of local honey and and bee pollen and this kind of sesame cookie with a dark chocolate ganache and creme fraiche chantilly and a little mm. bit of like a milk jam and just the, the, what, what Rusty has allowed us to do just in general to try and start to balance out that menu because savory is always such, such the major focus in terms of, you know, expected value and all those things that we've been able to have somebody come in and really just step up what we do uh, in, in total, which has been really amazing. 
Yeah, that sounds delicious. Um, are, are there any, uh, you know, what are some big crowd pleasers? Maybe one or two dishes that people always come in and ask for. No oh, fries. <laughs> fries. <laughs> fries. People love our fries. Uh, I mean, at dinner, the steak au poivre, because it is, again, it's always on our menu. Um, that is something that never changes. We find that a, it's kind of a nod to the origins of the restaurant, and that it is a classic French bistro dish. And also. It's nice to have a dish on the menu that is uh, recognizable and comfortable, maybe for people who aren't as adventurous. Uh, it, but also, I, I always have enjoyed going back to places I love and being able to get something that you crave. Uh, mm -hmm. You're like, oh, man, I had this once and I want to get it again. But also that there are things that are different. So it just kind of meets both expectations of the restaurant. And Steve just makes a really incredible apoive sauce. But, at, and then at lunch, it, it, it's it's a gathering of all the things we do at lunch. And lunch really meets that as well, is that the egg salad sandwich, the escargot, the tartare, you know, it's just, I, I like, and I think our guests enjoy being able to come back and get certain items consistently. <laughs> so, you know, you received a Michelin star. Congratulations. Um in some ways, it's it's kind of the same thing as like a film director winning an Academy Award. Uh, what does it mean uh, uh, to you guys as a on a personal level? We're, we're extremely proud. Uh, we're proud to be recognized for something that I guess in some ways we never had any sort of ambition or intention for. I think that we have always, and having kind of spent quite a bit of time in those caliber of kitchens or restaurants that are rec recognized for those for stars that to be considered for one is, is kind of like a, a pinch yourself moment. Daisy. Yeah. We had kind of stum stumbled into it, I suppose in a way, but I mean, I also, you know, we've spent a lot of years working in restaurants and working towards, you know, towards being successful, I guess, and uh, by our own right. And I suppose that um, while we, our success have been lucky enough to be successful in many ways, um, yeah, it's nice to have. It's almost like the the wax seal on the envelope a little bit, you know. It's, it's a, a certification in a way uh, that feels pretty cool, and yeah, and hopefully will just you know remind us to continue to never change, and uh, <laughs> but change all the time. Right. So you know, before we go, what's one more thing you each want people to know about bells? I mean, it could be something that the reviews usually miss, or or maybe a you know particular point of pride what comes to mind that greg and i are always trying to figure out a better way to do things um i think it's very easy to do things how you were taught and to not question them because it's what you know um but that i question and we question things every single day of like is this really the best way to do this is there a better way is there a different way and that uh, we're constantly questioning everything that we do and hoping to be better all the time. Greg? That's good, yeah. Yeah, I question everything I do all the time, so this, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> well, Daisy, Greg, this has really been great. I mean, thanks so much for joining us on California Now. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having us. Daisy and Greg Ryan run the award-winning Bells in Los Alamos online at bellsrestaurant.com and on Instagram at Bells Los Alamos. Our Michelin star-studded episode continues in just a moment. This is California Now.
In 2019, when Michelin expanded its California coverage beyond San Francisco, only one restaurant in San Diego County earned a star. That restaurant is Addison, located in Del Mar. Two years later, Michelin released a new guide and updated its star designations, and Addison received a second star. Today, we're thrilled and honored to talk to the driving force behind Addison, Chef William Bradley. We're going to explore his unique take on fine dining and something he likes to call California gastronomy. Welcome to California Now, William. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, a second star, congratulations. Uh, is the second star as special as the first? Yes, absolutely. I mean, getting the first star and just having the Michelin Guide come to San Diego was just, uh, it was something that I thought would never happen. And then when it did, it was, the level of excitement was just, like just opening the restaurant for the first time. So receiving the first star was just great. Um, we were extremely honored and happy by that and ready to go. And our goal and, and, and focus is to become, as time goes by, a, a three-star Michelin restaurant. That's our ambition. So to get the second star rather quickly was just kind of something that the team really, really worked hard at. And just to be able to be rewarded for that again quickly was just amazing. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and how would you describe the experience at Addison uh, to somebody who has never dined there? Yeah, so obviously um, we sit in such a beautiful area in Carmel Valley, California, which is you know a suburb of Del Mar. And the, your ability to kind of, when you come here, you feel like you're just not in San Diego. So there's that sense of arrival. And when you come in, the room is obviously very beautifully um, spaced and orchestrated in terms of our service. But it's a really beautiful environment. And we try to make the guest really comfortable and calm and relaxed when they get into the restaurant so and it's a multi-tasting menu so when you come and dine with us you know you're 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 our guest you're entering our home and you're going to be there for you know up to two and a half to three and a half hours depending on how you want to kind of bespoke your meal so it's it's really an experience that's the way we look at it yeah, it sounds like it's almost like a, a culinary getaway. Like you're gonna you're gonna spend a few hours here, but you're gonna be kind of transported, right? And it, it you know different restaurants and different locations have different ambiance and different feel. But you know when you come here, you're committing yourself for the entire evening to us. So, right, right. And you know you talk about California gastronomy. Um, what exactly do you mean by that? I mean this is it's different than what people have talked about when they talk about California cuisine. That's a different thing. What is California gastronomy? Yeah, what California gastronomy and kind of how it came up and it was, you know, I was very fortunate um, and I still am. I have a lot of great uh, friends in the industry all through California. Back in early 19, we did a dinner at Single Thread up in Sonoma uh, with a few other uh, great chef friends of mine. Um, and when we were all there and we were doing this, I, I really had a, you know, coming, doing this dinner with you know, them and coming back to our restaurant, I was thinking, you know, our sense of place needs to be a lot more distinctive. You know, we really, really need to look at this. So coming back down here and, you know, we were, when we had one star, we were doing more of your contemporary French cuisine. So was, we pulled a lot of dishes and the mindset and repertoire from that playbook. And I really thought, you know, in order to, you know, get, two stars and maybe move into the three stars, you really, really have to have a signature and a feel. So obviously we all know that what California cuisine is, um, but I thought that was just a little bit maybe 
could be confusing and misleading. So putting the word gastronomy in with it, I think it just kind of fit well. So using a lifestyle, which is gastronomy and California, which is where we are, putting those two together, we feel that we kind of have our own ethos now in terms of how we're approaching our cuisine. We use a lot of Latin flavors at times. There's a lot of Asian influences at times. There can be, you know, all different, you know, French as well, Spanish. There are just so many different cultures and elements of taste that you can apply to a dish. Like we have saffron on the menu now. We also have dill on the menu, uni and black. You know, there's just so many different things and cultures that come together uh, that represent California and the lifestyle of gastronomy. I think it really, really uh, is, is helping us you know, forge our way and have our own voice. Does Addison have a signature dish? Right now, I feel we have two dishes um, that, that could be a signature. One is a, um, a dish that we've put on the menu about eight, nine months ago, and it's gotten really great feedback. So it's becoming a signature dish. It's a dish that we serve. It's, um, it's almost like a porridge style, but it's done with koshia curry rice and then toasted sesame a smoked sabayon, and then it's finished with a little bit of um, Kaluga queen caviar. So again, it's a warm caviar dish, so there's a lot of different you know, elements of taste and texture and flavor on that, and people really, you know, they're, they're like, this is amazing, this is a signature, don't take this off the menu, don't take this off the menu. So it's one of those dishes that people actually crave. We're in the process of making that a signature dish. Mm, that sounds really good. Uh, smoked sabayon, to, uh, for people who don't know what that is, uh, describe what that's like. We basically take eggs and we take butter. We smoke the butter over cherry wood. So the clarified butter is actually smoked. And then we do the reemulsification with the eggs. We're just drizzling in that smoked butter. And then we finish it with a little bit of smoked soy sauce. So it has a savory application, but still the same mouthfeel. Usually sabayons like that are usually um, sweet based with sugar. We just omit the sugar and add sodium element with um, the smoked soy sauce. Wow, that sounds really amazing. What, what's the other signature dish? It's a, we're doing a shamushi um, and it's served with saltus, broccoli, and bok choy. And then on the top, we're putting a little bit of um, the buffon uni from Japan. So it's one of those dishes where you have that salinity from the broccoli and the textures from the saltus and all those kind of lively California elements that blend really well um, with the custard. And then that Japanese uni that's on top, which is obviously everyone's, if you're not familiar, uh, it, it's a must because it's such a luxurious, sweet, beautiful um, flavor that's so rare and it's something to be, to be enjoyed. And these are these are dishes that you basically have, you know, you've created these these recipes yourself. And, uh, you know, they're really almost kind of you can only get them at your restaurant. Yeah. And, and that's the whole, you know, again, going back to, you know, having a two and three star restaurant. I mean, that's the focus. And you can look around the world. These chefs have their signatures and we really, really focus and want what we do well and cook to our strengths and create these dishes that um, are unique because when you come to Addison, touch upon what we said in the beginning, part of the ambiance and everything is, is you're getting an experience that you can't get anywhere else. So what I mean by that is you're also getting dishes that you don't see anywhere else. And that gives you a real sense of place. Are there certain ingredients or, or flavors that are always on your menu? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we try to always, you know, balance it. I mean, I, my cuisine, I like it to be very light and, and have like a real feminine touch, high acid. Um, elements of umami in certain dishes are very important for, for, for taste balance. A little bit of spice here and there. Obviously, vegetables, herbs, things like that that are very, very, you know, help, you know, don't give you palate fatigue, I think are always there. But, you know, it, that's important to kind of have what's available um, in the peak season and, and, and put it on the plate and hopefully it's special. Yeah. So I, I was hoping that you could take us through kind of like what the Addison experience is like. I say I have a reservation for Saturday night at seven. It's a special occasion. What should I expect? Special occasions, we, 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 we get a hold of you ahead of time just to ensure um, if there's any allergies or restrictions health-wise for, for the me- menu, because our menu and the experience of our an evening at Addison is, is really based on the elements of surprise. So you won't know the menu ahead of time, <laughs> which is great because that, again, that plays into the element of surprise. If you go, you come in, you're sat, you know, obviously the captain, the, the sommelier team will, 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 will greet the table, kind of get you settled in for the evening, go over some of the, um, what we call housekeeping notes. Obviously with the COVID scenario, we, we have to do some of those, but, and then it's really about bespoking you know, if you want to do a wine pairing or you want to maybe look at the wine list and have a cocktail or things like that. Champagne, champagne obviously is, is, is a big, big thing with us. We have a champagne trolley that will come over. You can pick from many different varieties of champagne. And then that kind of gets you uh, ready for the evening. And then the menu itself, like we talked about, really reflects California gastronomy. So we look at our menu as um, what we call it a bookend. So you'll get a prelude in the beginning which is you know, an array of small little um, snacks that are really driven by texture and acidic flavors, which will kind of help set the palate. I mean, it's a, it's a spinoff to the um, traditional amuse-bouche that the French would serve to kind of set the palate. And then you would move into your tasting menu. And again, that'd be the element of surprise. We'd start off obviously um, on a, you know, a colder composed dish, which is more higher in acid, could be raw fish um, dish that is put together. It could be vegetable driven. It really depends on, on the time of year. And then you'll move into fish course, shellfish courses, and then into um, you know a squab dish, and then you can finish with an A5 wagyu as well. And then at the end, we do kind of the same thing we did in the beginning. Um, we as the dessert, it's like the grand finale or you know the fireworks show where it's multiple little bites brought together so it'd be the dessert and multiple bites so it's very similar to the beginning so you end just like you began and it's kind of a, um, a play on i think you know the french laundry and, and and chef keller at one time you know he was the one that kind of started that you know a lot of desserts at one time and it's kind of like a, a play on that um, as well so it's it's a lot of fun you know that you have all these little bites in front of you with the desserts and it kind of you know resets um, the evening for you so it's pretty amazing. So, you know, basically once I'm there, other than maybe, you know, choosing what I want to drink and maybe relaying any dietary restrictions, I'm, I'm basically, you know, done making hard decisions. I can just sit back and, and take it as it comes. Exactly. And, and, and that's, that's that element of surprise that people really enjoy, crave, and they, they find it's, it's such a part of the experience that's so fun because, you know, 
you're kind of anticipating, whoa, you know, you're, you're discussing the dish and I wonder what the next dish is going to be. And, you know, then the wine pairing comes down and they start talking about the wine and, you know, people maybe think, well, but it could be this or that, or it, 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 it's a lot of fun to see people, you know, engage. And again, like you say, relaxed. Um, and we remove all those um, choices for you. And so you can really just, um, you know, take a step away from everything and enjoy yourself here. I mean, you're basically curating an experience. That's what people are, are coming to you for. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's something that we've been doing for a long time. And obviously it's great now with, 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 with the recognition from Michelin that it's really um, helped us in terms of notoriety. Um, the Michelin guys obviously makes a huge impact to, you know, your global audience. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's been great to see so many people that would probably never come down to San Diego to experience Addison do know, you know, they come down now and it's been, it's been great to see such a change in, in, in everything. It's been great. Very, very, very fortunate for that. Yeah, in addition to your your local regulars, do you get a sense that a lot of visitors, you know, to the San Diego area come to your restaurant? Yes, yes, we do. We get a lot of people from, you know, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Newport, um, Orange County. We see people coming from all over the state and all over the country. And you know, as you know, the the, the pandemic, you know, obviously is, is changing and hopefully getting. A lot better than where we were, you know, a while. There'll be a lot more travel as well, but we've seen um, people from around the world come here. So it's great. Well, William, this has really been great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks for helping us capture what we do at Addison. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. Chef William Bradley runs the two-star Addison in San Diego County online at addisondelmar.com. This is California Now. If you're still hungry for more about the many, many places to find spectacular food and fun in the Golden State, you should check out the latest California Visitor's Guide. It's a beautiful planning tool for the next time you hit the road here. You can order your free 2022 California Visitor's Guide online at visitcalifornia.com cvg. Again, that's visitcalifornia.com cvg.